I think the idea that children believe something because we told them, like, is probably not accurate. I don't think you have a Christian kid because you've gotten them to recite the right stuff. The relationship with God is an internal spiritual orientation that involves our like whole being, our will and our mind and our heart and our, our emotions, everything. I think it's more important for them to understand the process of how I arrived at my belief and to have a process for evaluating other people's conclusions. Number one, it's problematic if parents think that getting their kids to repeat their things means they've raised Christian children. I don't think that's the kind of faith that lasts when there's adversity, when there's doubt, when there's struggle. Hello, everyone. Welcome back on the topic of teaching children. Should we indoctrinate children on things we believe? When, why, and how should we teach children? Christy, how are you doing today? Good. It's awesome. hot here, but other than that, I'm doing awesome. Yeah. So you have an interesting background with homeschooling and parenting and all that, um, as as well as uh, you know what you do for work. Um, so could you talk about like your uh, a little bit of your background? Could you talk about just like, you know, what what it was like growing up, what you learned and all that other stuff. Yeah, sure. Well, um, I uh, was a child of evangelicalism. I was raised in a Christian home in a Baptist church. And, you know, from the time I was very little, my parents were very devout, um, good Christian people. And I was actually homeschooled until sixth grade myself, like before it was a thing in the 80s. And um, even then, most of the Christian produced material was um, very uh, anti-science and um, had a very fundamentalist, it came out of the fundamentalist kind of stream of, of the Christian church. Now, I, my parents were not fundamentalists and we used some material that they were kind of like, eh, we don't, we're not on the same page with all this stuff. My dad was actually a public school teacher and, you know, got some materials from his school, but just normal secular educational materials that we also used. So my homeschooling was probably different than, you know, some other people who were like fully engaged in the, like the Christian homeschooling world. But um, I did not intend to homeschool my children. I was actually a public school teacher myself. Um, I do not have all these like huge issues with public education. There are good schools and bad schools and there are great teachers and, you know, bad teachers. You can't just like lump them all into one or the other. Um, there are lots public school teachers in my family. I really appreciate the hard work that they do. And just, um, I feel like teachers are an amazing, amazing contributors to our society. And like, we should respect them more than they sometimes get these days in the conversations that swirl around education. But um, 10 years ago, my husband and I moved to rural Mexico to work with um, an, a development organization. And um, I had my um, youngest was four and my oldest was in um, second grade. And so I um, realized that the really the only educational option for them would be for me to homeschool them and probably like through high school. And this was <laughs> I sort of had assumed there would be like some school for them to go to. But I became a homeschooler, not because of. Um, conviction so much as necessity, but um, because I was homeschooling and I needed to pick curriculum and I needed to, I mean, even having a background as a high school teacher, like I didn't know how to teach kids how to read and I didn't know, you know, I'd never done elementary school. So there was still a learning curve for me. And I got involved with different um, homeschooling communities, like online, just uh, interacting with other homeschooling parents and kind of got a feel going to conferences and book fairs for what like people are using and what kind of ideas are dominating. And then um, through my involvement with BioLogos, uh, it's a faith and science organization promoting, you know, acceptance of um, rigorous science in churches and um, just that we should trust Christian scientists among us and hold them up as role models, not as people who have sold out to the devil. And so I got involved with them and they uh, had been hearing from a lot of parents who were homeschooling that there just really wasn't anything on the market that started with the presupposition that science is reliable, um, the scientific method gives us like truth about the world. And um, as Christians, 
when that, like the discoveries of science challenge our beliefs, like we need to find a way to harmonize that. Cause like all truth is God's truth. It's not, it's not that we need to oppose science because it's telling us something different than God tells us. We need to assume that God speaks through his world and God speaks through his word and we just need to hear him write. And so um, I got involved in a writing project developing a high school curriculum for um, Christian schools and homeschoolers. It is not a science curriculum in that it doesn't teach like all the basics of biology, but it's designed to be used by biology teachers alongside um, their regular science curriculum to really bring out issues in biology in modern science and technology that pose specific challenges for us, like either theologically or ethically, and um, to kind of guide conversations from a Christian worldview about okay, what, what does the science say? And then how do we as Christians like integrate this with our Christian worldview or understanding of what the Bible says about who we are as Christians in this world? So um, that's sort of my an orientation to me and homeschooling and to science and faith. Yeah, so you briefly mentioned how, you know, you're kind of looking at different curriculums and you're like trying to choose what's best for your children and all that. And yeah. you, you kind of, you realize that, you know, not, not a lot of them. Um, well, a lot of them were, I guess, like more fundamentalist, fundamentalist based. Um, mm -hmm. I don't know well, you, you said when you were a ch child, maybe not so much now. I don't know. Oh, no, um, it's still, it's still dominant. Um, because I think the kind of the, the groups that have been publishing for many years have been more fundamentalist or very conservative evangelical. I feel like the lines have gotten blurred over the last time. Um, so a lot of the homeschooling material that even people that are not necessarily from that stream of Christianity are using, it has very, they call like providentialist history. So um, that God intended for white people to like have America and set it up as a city on a hill and like the new Israel for, you know, the benefit of the nations. And so like super centering of white Europeans and pretty denigrating of Native Americans. And um, there's like some, some really popular Muslim curriculum is written by a slavery apologist. You know, it's like, it's, it's problematic for some people. And then from the science end, if you have a textbook that advertises itself as having a Christian perspective on science, almost 100% of the time, that means it presents young earth, um, flood geology, ushers, chronology, which, you know, they, They'll, they'll, they'll give a history curriculum and you won't even know that it's like young earth, but it'll change the dates of ancient Egypt to match like the flood happened in, you know, 3000, whatever BC. And so therefore the pyramids had to be built after. And um, so uh, most homeschooling curriculum, like in order to be published and in order to be um, sold at homeschooling conventions, you have to present it from this young earth perspective, from this patriotic perspective, which is, um, yeah, like <laughs> last cause thing for the civil war and just some, some stuff that I think as, um, younger, like the, as uh, millennials and now it's even Gen Y is starting to have young children and starting to homeschool, you have a lot of Christians who are like, this is not okay. Like we need better stuff. And so more now is being offered kind of from like the different, a different side of, of, um, more progressive, kind of evangelicalism or, or Christian view. But up until, you know, fairly recently, dominating was the pretty fundamentalist um, reformed idea of this is this is what Christians believe. Right. Yeah. So I'd say so I, I grew up homeschooled. Um, I did Bob Jones. Um, at the same time, I don't remember a whole lot about what I learned and all that. So I can't verify if uh, Bob Jones was any of that, that you described, really. Um, well, sometimes it's not what they teach you. It's what they leave out. So yeah. there was there's a Christian publishing company that got a major UK um, publisher of secular educational. They reissued an encyclopedia of world history with the first like 80 pages that dealt with prehistory and the dinosaurs and cavemen and all that. They just took it out and they reissued it as starting with agriculture because that fit the homeschoolers worldview. And then they reissued like a bunch of other textbooks. They changed all references to millions or billions of years to a long time ago, ago and republished like this special Christian homeschooler edition of a totally secular book. 
So some of it is um, a lot of Christian curriculum, even if they're not proactively teaching a young earth view, they are not addressing um, climate change. They are not addressing evolution. They are not addressing an ancient earth. They are not addressing even like what archeologists would say is the normal understanding of human history because it doesn't fit into the timeline. Right, and of course there's a lot of debate about that. So I'd be really interested to know specifically like Egyptian chronology, because um, I mean, you're, you're pushing a lot and you know, I, I don't even know if I remember studying it that much. So, so maybe it just wasn't a big influence. Like, oh, we're just not going to talk about that. You know, I can't even well, remember. Honestly, who remembers the dates you learn in history class anyway? So yeah. I just went over your head. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I can't uh, give you a good uh, analysis of whether how much I paid attention or not. So you, you should mention it's kind of like a lot of the issues with a lot of homeschool curriculums these days. Like, how would you say your curriculum addresses that? The Biologos curriculum? Yeah. Um, well, like I said, it's, it's the only thing on the market that is trying to say we accept consensus science as a starting point and we are from there trying to hold out Christian role models and um, think about how do we respond Christianly to the issues that science raises. Um, one thing that I think, I think Christianity should focus on orthodoxy and orthopraxy and orthopathos. So you got three, three orthos. So orthodoxy is right beliefs. And I think we do a good job about with this in our education. We are always, you know, trying to solidify what is it that are the right beliefs that we can teach kids. And um, that's important. It's important to teach them what Christians believe and what the Bible says. But it's also orthopraxy is what is the right action to take? as Christians, what, what do we do? And so our curriculum says, okay, if climate change is negatively impacting the most vulnerable people in the world and is disparate, like the disparities between the way it's affecting poor and marginalized are enormous. How as Christians do, what do we do about this? What's the Christian action to take? When we see people um, with disabilities being marginalized in our society, what do we do? And so we are concerned about talking about like orthopraxy to go with our orthodoxy. And then there's another one you don't hear about as much that I read about um, fairly recently. And I really love this idea of orthopathos. So that is having the virtuous response. Like, um, so our affective, our feeling response is coming from a Christ-like character. So when we see suffering, we feel compassion. And when we see injustice, we, um, we feel anger. And when we, when we see um, beauty and uh, just the majesty of creation, we feel awe and wonder are pushed to it. And when we, we receive generosity, we feel gratitude. So um, our curriculum, every unit focuses on a Christian virtue um, that we're trying to build in our lives and have the right Christian response in these situations where we also need to believe the right things and we also need to do the right things. But we need to, we need to respond with Christian virtue as well. So I think that that is something that sets it apart is most curriculum is only focusing on telling people what to think and not necessarily opening up conversations about what do we do and how do we um, how do we feel about um, the issues. Yeah, of course. So uh, a big controversy over parenting and schooling is, you know, people are afraid of indoctrination, maybe not so much among like conservative Christians, but definitely around i've heard a lot like oh you indoctrinate your children on christianity you tell them what to believe um do you have any thoughts on that on the issue like do you think we should be indoctrinating children yeah um this is an interesting question and i've actually thought a decent amount about it and i think there's fear on both sides so i think if you um watch the news you have people like irately christians irately storming school boards because they're convinced that the public schools are indoctrinating their children with CRT, with, um, you know, teaching them to be transgender or gay, or, you know, um, there is this concern that public schools indoctrinate. And then there's definitely a concern that 
um, Christian homeschoolers are withholding important information from their children and only presenting a certain worldview that um, indoctrinates kind of their children in a way that is not palatable to the wider culture. So I think that the fear goes both ways. And I think the word indoctrination, like it's a pejorative word, right? It, it, like doctrine is a positive word. Doctrine is a belief, a foundational belief. But indoctrinate kind of has this connotation of make people believe propaganda. And um, by, in, in an unthinking way, like in an uncritical, just accepting way, make them like be able to parrot the party line. And so I think that as parents, um, we want to enculturate our children. And as schools, like there's also enculturation that, that goes on. And this is a normal thing that children in societies will learn what the society values, how to behave like a good person in that society, how to treat other people in ways that will be viewed as like respectful and honorable in that society, how to avoid being shameful. Like we, we need to enculturate our children. And um, I think the, the problem comes when you have certain Christian communities who are like they're a little dysfunctional and they're very um, set apart from the wider culture. And so they have just like incredibly different ideas of what we're enculturating children into. And the enculturation that's happening in some Christian homes maybe is not um, preparing those children to function as encultured members of the wider society. And vice versa, there are some Christian parents who feel like the enculturation happening in schools is not preparing them to function in their Christian community. And so um, just the disconnect between the two, um, I think is the issue people are responding to, but I don't think I don't think that there's this ideal where parents would not enculturate their children and would just like say, we don't know what you should believe. You know, you need to examine everything for yourself and decide when you're old enough what you think. And we're never going to tell you what we think you should think or what we think is right. That, that doesn't happen. That's not how humans um, raise children. It just doesn't happen that way. It doesn't happen or are you saying that it can't? I don't think it can. I think that you will absorb a worldview as a child growing up. Mm -hmm. Like you will have experiences, you will get responses from people that either validate or don't validate your perceptions of the world and you will learn how to behave. And so no matter how neutral parents think they are being, they are communicating values. They're communicating what behavior is good and acceptable and what behavior is bad and unacceptable. And their children are absorbing that. And even like, if you enculture your, I mean, you can enculturate your children into a very relativistic worldview that says we should never tell anyone they're wrong and all opinions are equally valid. And it is actually bad to have an opinion on something and be dogmatic, but you have enculturated your child into that perspective. It's not that you have given them a neutral perspective. You have told them that your value is not being dogmatic. And so um, I think that the parents who are like, oh, Christians are bad because they're indoctrinating their children. It's like, no, they're enculturating their children into their community. And if you don't like their community, well, then that's your own prejudice that is speaking. And what you're really saying is I would enculturate those children better. So you would just, just want to bend on, just so I can understand you better. So you would say, I mean, just the way I look at it is that there's almost there's different levels to indoctrination or like, you know, how you how you talk to your children. So you can be like, hey, if you don't believe this, you're a bad person. And that's like, you know, maybe super high indoctrination or mm -hmm. or something like, you know, communication. And, you know, if we're if you're telling your child, you know, both sides of the debate, like obviously you have a preference. So like you're kind of going to end up communicating your bias. And then, of course, you have, um, you know, children are heavily influenced. You know, they want to be accepted. They want to be loved. So oftentimes they'll they'll choose the idea that, you know, fits best with their parents. So there can be a influencing there. Um, but you'd say that, like, you know, there's there's no way to get rid of any of that. 
Well, I, I think the idea that children believe something because we told them, like, is probably not accurate. I don't think that's how we, like, how our worldviews are formed. I think we, we believe what comports with our reality. So we model for our children behavior and values and narratives that explain reality, and they absorb and repeat and, you know, to like, as they grow, like accept or reject those values and narratives. And, but I don't think anyone believes Jesus died on the cross for your sin, just because they were told that was true. Like at some point there's an experiential response to that truth. There's an encounter with God that in their experience, this is their reality that they now accept. So, um, I think we maybe get hung up on like the ideas kids are exposed to, but I, I think the ideas we internalize are not necessarily like what our teachers told us was true, what our parents have told us was true. They're what we've experienced as true and what like makes sense of our reality. So I think if parents want the Christian narrative of reality to make sense, then what's most important is that their lives demonstrate that reality. So um, I think when I've been um, like, how do I communicate my faith to my kids? It's more been, how do I provide experiences for them where they see God working and they encounter God for themselves and they like see that I love God and I love people and I am serving and I am giving them opportunities to serve and have those that chance to like say, okay, whatever I'm telling you is true. Like, can you see it? Can you feel it? It's, is it true for you too? Because I think that's where they like own it. I don't think any child believes something just because their parents tell them like past a certain point, you know, like at some point, you know, Santa Claus is a lie because he's like, it doesn't comport with your experience. So I think that that relates to our, like the doctrines we're trying to teach our kids too. At some point it's going to either make sense of their reality and their experiences or it's not. Yeah. Something you, we also talked about over messenger is that you talked about how like you, you communicate like um, that you talk about like bias and um, how those types of things um, can affect how we see the world and like how we, we should, uh, I guess, teach children about that type of topic. Like, can you into detail about yeah. that? Yeah, yeah. Um, well, I think a lot of our Christian curriculum has been very focused on answers. So we want our children to have the right answers. We want them to be able to give an answer for the faith they profess. We want them to have good arguments. Um, and I think um, sometimes then, like, the focus becomes just on the answer, not the way we got to the answer. So I, I want my, like, I want my kids to understand what I believe and I'm happy to share with them the conclusions that I've drawn, but I think it's more important for them to understand the process of how I arrived at my belief and to have a process for evaluating other people's conclusions. So like in the information age, one of the hugest problems now in education is people can't evaluate a source. And so I want my kids to be able to hear a claim and ask questions about, well, like, who's saying this? And do they have any expertise? And are they like, if it's a representative, a lawyer working for an oil company talking about climate change, is, are they the person whose opinion we trust most on, you know, climatology data? Or should we, you know, believe a climatologist who's saying something different? And, you know, is there a difference between TMZ and NPR? Yes, there is. And so I, I want them to be able to evaluate sources of information for credibility. And um, just we need to know who to trust. And as Christians, it can't be as simple as like, well, we trust other Christians who act and think like we do. Like we, we should value knowledge and expertise and not just be tribal about it. Um, and so I think one, you know, one cognitive bias is in group thinking that like, well, the people in my group that I most identify with have to be right. And I would like my kids to be able to evaluate and say, no, just because a Christian says something and we like Christians doesn't mean that they are basing their conclusions on good arguments or on real facts. Like we need to 
we need to evaluate things and we need to just be aware of when we're likely to trust people or not trust people based on who they are and our own prejudices. And when we are maybe not thinking something through because it, it triggers us in some way and the, the really like critical, thoughtful thing to do would be to say, okay, what, what are my own biases are, are making me not give this a, a fair hearing? Um, so we, like my, my kids are teenagers right now. They're eighth grade um, freshmen and a junior in high school. And I think that um, they have absorbed many of my viewpoints in life just because I'm such a convincing person, obviously. But um, I, I've also appreciated, like in their interactions, they take classes online, how they're able to evaluate claims other people make. And one of the questions they ask, like, well, where did you get that information? And who are you, like, who are you believing it? And they don't just immediately accept something because a teacher said it or because um, a Christian peer who they like said it. So I think, um, I think that's a success. Right. Yeah. I kind of like getting it to the idea of where it's like, you don't want, um, you know, you don't want other parents or you don't even want yourself to be teaching like super crazy things that are wrong. Um, and if we, if we say, Hey, you know, you know, be open-minded to all views and you know you come across the idea of like oh well you know you, you know something like flat earth like mm -hmm. you, i mean what what do you want to teach children like every pro and con of flat earthism or whatever like right some ideas be shouldn't be entertained they should be immediately dismissed as stupid and um yeah i think maybe in our society we have kind of veered too much in the other direction is everyone deserves to be heard and it's like no not on every topic. Everyone deserves to be like loved and treated as a you know human with dignity, but not everyone's ideas are good. Like some of them are garbage. So um, yeah, my, my kids have probably absorbed that. Like most people are stupid <laughs> mentality, probably. which is probably not good. But um, the other thing I, I um, when it comes to Christian views, I want my kids to be aware that like Christians are not a monolithic. Like we don't all believe the same thing. Um, you have different denominations, you have different um, cultures that are contextualizing Christianity in different ways. Um, and I want them, like there are essentials, I think, you know, like Jesus is Lord and his kingdom is coming, like we all agree on that. But there are, you know, Bible passages that are on the fringes that are, there are different interpretations and there are applications that differ. So when we're like, well, how do we apply what the Bible says to gay marriage? Well, you Christians don't agree. Like, and it's not that, well, some Christians accept the Bible and some Christians don't. It's that no, Christians are interpreting the Bible differently. And not only that, they're applying their Bible interpretations differently. And so we need to be able to evaluate um, the whole process of going to the Bible for truth. How do we interpret it? How do we understand the difference between the culture that it was given in and the the ways that truth was contextualized for them how do we know what's timeless and what applies to us and then like even if we have like a true thing we still have to apply it to our world and those answers aren't clear um all the time and i would like my um kids to have some tolerance for ambiguity and for the idea that depending on how you prioritize different values and you prioritize um, different doctrines even, you're going to come out in different places. And that doesn't mean like one person's got a Christian view and one person doesn't have a Christian view. It just means they've, there's diversity in the church. And like, I have to think that in some ways God like must like this. He must like the idea that like churches in different places and people in different times and like have gotten very different messages because it's like, it keeps happening. And like, People are being fruitful Christians in their lives, even with very, like, you can be a pacifist and be a very fruitful Christian, and you can and be led by God to your pacifism, and you can be, like, a colonel in the army and be led by God to be, like, a godly leader in a human institution, and I think, like, you can both be, like, on God's path for your life, and you can both be applying, you know, Christian values, but you're coming out in very different places, and so I'd like my kids to be able to not just accept that, but kind of empathize with how people get to where they are and just accept that, you know, God's leading people different ways. Um, people can prioritize 
you know, one thing over another and end up in a different place. But that doesn't mean they're prioritizing something wrong or bad. It just like life is very messy and complicated and we don't always have black and white answers. Yeah, of course. Uh, so you, you briefly mentioned how like, you know, some views are stupid and we can, you know, disregard those. Um, but I, I guess my question is like, how do we evaluate whether a view is stupid? Is it just like, you know, scientists? Well, I mean, obviously like, you know, just cause a lot of people believe it doesn't mean it's, it's false. Like, how do we, how do we differentiate those ideas? Yeah, I think, well, and in this day and age, it's hard because people don't trust, like there's such a lack of trust of, of sources. So mm -hmm. I think, um, I start with the idea that like experts are trustworthy. So if you have a PhD in geology and you have worked with fossils for 20 years, like you probably know what you're talking about and you probably know more than I do. And so I'm going to trust that expertise. Now I think um, in our church, there's this, uh, like the Christian church in America, there's this very unhealthy distrust of expertise and it's like characterized as elitism or oh so you have to like spend 20 years just to know something it's like sometimes yeah you do and so like so the idea that like an actual medical doctor who's been practicing for 30 years knows more than like your chiropractor who got his license online like that that's a real thing and um but i think that teaching students um, who's trustworthy a lot of times comes down to our values and like what we like what we like our epistemology like what we believe is is sound knowledge and how you get it so um i think um some christians their epistemology is very much like well my interpretation of the bible is my source of knowledge and um i think they think they're putting like their faith in the Bible, but it's really their understanding that they're counting on and not so that there's less of a chance for other like areas of expertise to speak into like what counts as true. And I think that's unfortunate. So uh, a last question on that topic here. Um, so you mentioned how like, yeah, you kind of you kind of have like a, a basis of, OK, you know, we're going to trust the science like the experts are are going to be right. Typically, um, I mean, obviously, you're not going to be dogmatic about it. Like one expert's always going to be right if if they have a lot of expertise on the subject. Obviously, you know, there's you know dissenters and like you know controversial views where people don't scientists don't always agree on the topic. But um, so I guess could you talk about like what exactly um, like I guess why is it so improbable to just say hey you know all science is wrong or or the scientists are wrong. Um, is it just like the the probability of you know one like a whole bunch of different people that are experts being wrong at the same time? Um, I mean, obviously that's happened in the past. So like, what are you using to evaluate that? Yeah, yeah. Well, I think there's a legitimate. Um, it's a legitimate point that science, you know, science meaning the body of knowledge that we consider true, is changing and being um, tweaked and evaluated and reimagined as we get new ways of testing things, as we, you know, understand more about DNA or gravitational waves or whatever, like as we get more knowledge, our models are, are being adapted to fit the, the new knowledge. But I think sometimes Christians take that and they're like, so maybe the evolutionary model or the big bang model like will be thrown away. And um, that, to me requires conspiratorial thinking that like for a hundred years, scientists all over the world are completely deluded and terrible at their job because none of them have realized that the basis of their research that is making perfect sense of everything is garbage and doesn't make sense. And, and that to me is like, who thinks that way? That's delusional. It's delusional to think that so many people with so much, so many years of study, so many like, you know, hours of, of exploration saying this fits and this works, that they're completely wrong. Now, I, I believe like things will be changed and adapted, but they're on the fringes and on the edges of what we know, not like in the center. And, and I think like a good thing to bring up to kids is like, our, our faith changes over time and gets adapted to our new knowledge. So like I went to Wheaton College and um, in, in like the 50s, um, as a student, you couldn't go see movies. 
because it was considered um, a violation of verse. Like it wasn't, uh, it wasn't considered seemly for Christians. Like it was going to damage your reputation as a Christian if you were seen going to a movie. And so they were basing this prohibition on like an actual interpretation of a Bible, like, you know, like let your reputation among people be without, um, you know, with, be above reproach. And so they're like, so you can't go to movies. But like the context changed and we, you know, gained a different understanding maybe of, uh, of what that means. And so now like we, college students can go to movies. It's not a big deal. And you have, you know, little things like that is more like how we put into practice our Christianity. But you have different understandings of, you know, like the abolitionist movement brought a different understanding of like the image of God in Africans and, and that kind of thing. Like it was a major theological ideas that were challenged and were sort of the church moved and um, adapted. And so I think it, when you understand that it, both in the church, what we believe and scientists, nobody's just like, I have an argument and I am making it and the best argument wins. Like everyone's functioning in a community with a history and with a way of doing things. And they, in order to change something, you have to get a lot of people agreeing that something needs to be changed or like new information matters and needs to be evaluated. It's never just like one person has a good argument and so we decide to go with that guy. Um, you have to convince your peers. And so um, I, I think that understanding how peer review works and how just like consensus works, both in the science, science and consensus works in church too. We don't just like, you know, you if you're a guy who's like, the Bible says this and you should believe me, like you start a cult. Like you have to, you have to hold up your Bible interpretations to church history and the way your particular Christian community has understood it. And if you want to propose something new, like you have to like duke it out with everyone and get people to think that it's, you know, there's merit in changing the way we thought about it. So um, I think when you kind of help kids understand how we arrive at consensus, it's, it's more than just like, well, if you do the scientific method, everyone can get a good answer. Maybe not necessarily. You still have to convince the, your peers that it's a good answer and you have to demonstrate it with proof. Yeah, so, uh, so we kind of talked about how, you know, some children are, you know, more easily influenceable. Um, a lot of children actually. Um, uh, <laughs> And of course, you know, we're all influ influenceable in a certain degree, but um, of course, a lot of Christians will say like, you know, the topic of Christianity, heaven and hell, it's very, very, very important. Like this is eternity we're talking about and that uh, Christians feel like their Christian parents feel like they're doing a bad job if they don't communicate to their children what's right, like mm -hmm. almost like. Some would even say that, you know, we should brainwash our brainwash our children if it's right, because mm -hmm. that's what will be best for them in the long run. Like, what do you think about that idea? Um, yeah, I think it, it goes to um, an understanding of Christianity and faith that is basically um, about mental assent to propositions, which I think is like a very modernist western idea of what christianity is and it's not like the global church and it's not like the historical church that like if you just mentally assent to the right propositions you're saved um so my first thing would be like i don't think you have a christian kid because you've gotten them to recite the right stuff so um because our like our relationship with God is an internal spiritual orientation that involves our like whole being, our will and our mind and our heart and our, our emotions, everything. And so um, one thing that working on the Biologos Forum as a moderator, I see a lot of college kids um, who have been very well indoctrinated into the right answers. Um, and they're in the middle of like a really devastating crisis of faith as young adults because some proposition that they had mentally assented to has been challenged in a significant way, usually by YouTube. Um, and they, they don't have a relationship with God to fall back on or an experience as like a Christian living a Christian life with 
Christian feelings and virtue and experience, they just have the mental list of this is what makes me a Christian is I believe this, I believe this, I believe this, I believe this. And so I think, um, number one, it's problematic if parents think that getting their kids to repeat their things means they've raised Christian children. I don't think that's the kind of faith that lasts when there's adversity, when there's um, doubt, when there's struggle. Um, so I think for me, yes, I'm going to tell my kids what I believe and I'm going to tell them what I, I think I'm going to bring them to church so they can be catechized into what the church believes. And I'm going to expose them to Christian community. And we're all going to agree. This is what we think is true. But I think it's more important that they um, kind of be initiated into a life that's Christian and they um, see people who have been transformed by God's spirit who are like displaying the fruit of the spirit in life who are responding Christianly to the world because those are the experiences that are going to hold when a particular belief is challenged. There was a there was a psychologist I was listening to interviewed and he said this thing and I love it. I keep coming back to it. He said, it's not what we believe that changes us. It's what we love. And so I think that parents, our most important thing to teach our kids is what to love. And, you know, we love God and we love people and we respond to God's love for us. And we like point out examples of his grace and we point out examples of his power. And we, we, we love that. And that is what, changes us and allows us to mentally like assent to the beliefs. So yeah, I don't, like when I think of, if you're just getting kids to parrot beliefs, those, that's not a lasting faith that's um, programming them. And so um, I would rather my kids not have answers on certain things and be willing, but have like the spiritual equipment and the relationship with God to work through their questions and evaluate their experiences in light of like who they know God is, then, you know, to have the approved list of answers to all the questions that we can come up with memorized and ready to go. Yeah, no, that really changes our approach to parenting in general and, um, you know, teaching like just because you have the right belief doesn't make you, you know, a Christ follower or, or I mean, you even have relationships gone that way. So a little bit of a change of the topic. Um, yeah, obviously, as you're, you know, as your parent or, you know, you're looking to get what type of a curriculum or homeschooling or private schooling or whatever. Um, a difficult challenge in, you know, teaching of children is like, you know, just the way the, the brain grows and, you know, our capacity to learn. Like, how does um, your parenting and your curriculum adapt to that in regards to like what you teach your children at different ages? Yeah, no, that's a really good question. And I think like a lot of people I talk to, they grew up with a certain um, way of being taught and they don't want to repeat it with their children, but they don't, they, they kind of are picturing themselves and what they know now and all the baggage that they've unpacked. And they want to, you know, explain it to their five-year-old. It's like their five-year-old doesn't need to know about like archetypal Adam, but this is, this is not helpful. And so I think it, we do need to keep in mind that Children are very concrete thinkers. Um, they respond to affection and they have like basic needs like feeling secure and loved and accepted. And so when I'm talking about God and the Bible, what I want to bring out to them is that they're, they're like, they're God's child, that he's going to protect them, that God loves us, that he loves it when we thank him, that he loves us when we worship him. So when I read Genesis with a child, I'm not going to talk about how it fits with the evolutionary model or when in human history, Adam and Eve existed, if they did exist, and when humanity became God's image bearers. Like those, that's completely irrelevant to a child's understanding of the world. They need to know, isn't it amazing? God made fish. Like, we love, we love watching fish swim. Fish are great creatures. Let's watch a documentary about fish and talk about how amazing it is that God created fish. And that's kind of like the level they're on. And so like when my children were young, um, as far as like creation, I wanted them to internalize that God is an amazing creator 
the world inspires wonder and awe and that our response to the wonder and all we feel is to worship God who created it and to like know that he loves us and we're special. And even though we can look at the whole starry sky full of, you know, you know other galaxies that like God loves us. And isn't that amazing? And that he hears our prayers and that he, you know, takes care of us and gives us what we need. And those, that sense of like security in relationship with God and like being, um, like a part of creation that matters to God, I think is what you want to communicate to young children. And so I just taught the Bible, like what I thought, like inspires me. Like I, I would say, you know, this is when I read this part of the Bible, this is what is amazing to me about it. And then when we did science class, I just said, you know, this is what scientists think. And if it, if maybe there was a disconnect that I thought they might have, like mo most of the time they didn't even notice it. And, um, they were not asking, well, you know, so we're studying, you know, prehistoric, you know, Homo naledi discovery, like, how does that relate to Adam and Eve? Like, just didn't ask those questions. And so um, it wasn't until like much later when they be, when they're able to make, you know, to, it's not until junior high and high school that kids start engaging in more abstract thinking and sort of trying to understand how things fit. And so I think you you answer the questions when they come up and then it's like, yeah, like some Christians see it this way. Some Christians see it this way. This is the thing I find most compelling. These are the places I still have questions. My kids know I still have a lot of unresolved questions and you know, like, it's fine. We can still, we can still like love God and love people and be out in the world, you know, serving him, even if we don't know exactly, you know, the answer to this or how to, you know, what to do with this Bible passage. So. Yeah, uh, that reminded me of how, uh, so I interviewed Joel Anderson on the topic of, you know, is Genesis a myth? And and he was just talking about how, uh, you know, he he went to school, you know, Bible college, all this other stuff. And um, then he started teaching and he, you know, he wasn't even an evolutionist at the time. And he was like, wait, there's a controversy here? Like, what? Mm -hmm. Did I just miss out on a lot? Like, what what's going on here? And he just like didn't see the the controversy, and then all of a sudden, you know, you know, you know, a bunch of you know fundamental Christians are like, oh, there's definitely a controversy. Like you're a bad person. Like wait, what? How did that happen? I didn't. I don't even know what you're talking about. Yeah. And um. Well, I think too, like a lot of people are like, well, I don't want to lie to my children, so I don't want to present Genesis in a way that's like too concrete, because I don't. I like I want them to know, um, you know, it's like five-year-olds think Dora the Explorer is real. Like, it's fine. They, they're just, that's how they're approaching the world is they're not making all of these categories between like myth and history and fiction and nonfiction. Like, and they know like things that are made up and things that are true. But when it comes to like a story, it's always real to them. And so it's like, it's fine to say, we're going to read these stories in the Bible. And it's fine if it's like real to them because that's how they interact with stories. And yeah, like later on when they start processing this, you know, wondering about, well, how does this fit with this other thing? Then you can, you can talk about it. Yeah. Um, uh, could you talk about, so you mentioned like kind of how about like, you mentioned like, you know, younger ages, um, does, does your curriculum and just how you teach your children, does that change? Like when, at what, what age do you, you know, have you started to, I guess, teach your children differently? Yeah, well, the curriculum we wrote is for high school, and um, okay. there are certain units that could be adapted down to junior high or, like, adapted up to college. Like, it's it's designed to be flexible, but we sort of aimed it at, like, freshman, sophomore in high school. Mm -hmm. And um, the reason it's aimed that way is because, like, a lot of the more interesting ethical and theological and philosophical things require a certain ability to think abstractly and to evaluate different perspectives and um and, you know, young elementary school children just aren't there yet. So um, what I did as a parent and what I recommend to other parents is there are so many quality science materials available, written by science writers for children in very accessible ways. And so, like, we read science books in science class and, you know, we watched National Geographic documentaries. And I don't think we need to have every... Um, input in our life have like Bible verses infused onto it. So we know we can accept it. Like, I think it's fine to teach our children. Like we accept what John Attenborough says about, you know, the deep sea because he's a scientist and he's doing this interesting program. And then like Bible, we kind of talked about like, well, who Jesus is. And we focused more on, 
you know, how do we, how do we act Christianly when we, you know, see somebody who needs something? Very concrete things, like what does it mean concretely to be um, a Christ follower? And I don't think that, a, like, when you start talk about, like, the evolution, creationism debate, or the, um, you know, the ancient Near East worldview and how it affects our interpretation of Genesis, most of the stuff is not stuff that young children are interested in. Um, it comes up in junior high, middle school, and high school when they're starting to process, number one, that other people think differently than them. So um, there's a great book called Science Geek Sam and His Secret Logbook that is written by um, a Dutch uh, man. His last name is Decker, I think. And um, it's about a middle schooler whose uncle is a scientist, but he goes to this Christian school. And so he brings in his uncle to give this guest talk. And I don't know, there's like an asteroid that hits their school or something. And, and this chaos breaks out because the, sci you know, the scientist uncle like says stuff that not all the Christian kids in the class um, think is right. And so the teacher like embarks on this like idea to explore what do Christians think about this different thing? But it really just um, emphasizes that not all Christians see science and how we should respond to it the same way. It's okay. It's okay to ask questions. It's okay to have uncles who are scientists. It's okay to be the kid in your class that doesn't have the same view as some of the other kids, but like to also understand, you know, they're doing the best they can trying to make sense of the world. And so I think like my kids, that's where they were at in junior high um, in middle school. Was, okay, here's what we've kind of learned and what we sort of accept in our family, but we have all these friends, you know, sometimes teachers who are coming from this other perspective. So what's that about? And how did they get where they are? And so um, I spent some time kind of talking about, well, you know, this is, this is how your friends are interpreting this Bible passage and this is what they're valuing. And like, we can respect that and we can empathize with them even if we don't draw the same conclusions. Yeah. Great answer. I like that a lot. Okay. So that's really all I have for you today. Um, I really appreciate you coming on Christy. Um, is there, and you have a, you have your Facebook, you have a BioLogo site. Um, uh, could you, Tell everyone the link and uh, other ways to contact you. Yeah, um, the link to the Integrate curriculum is biologos.org slash integrate. And um, you can, from the biologos.org website, uh, click on the forum. And there's just a discussion forum that I participate in regularly with some other people who are interested in um, just talking about science, faith, how, you know, we, we don't always stick to those topics. Other things get brought up that have to do with like Bible interpretation or, you know, how do we live Christianly today? Um, and there's also a special part of the forum that's dedicated to educators. So if you're a parent or a Christian school teacher and you'd like to sort of commiserate with um, other parents or teachers kind of coming from this um, perspective of trying to harmonize mainstream science and um, a Christian perspective, you know, we welcome your participation. You can just um, share what things are like in your community, the challenges you're having, We'd be happy to interact um, with you there. And um, yeah, I'm always happy to meet new people and talk about um, kids and homeschooling and science and the Bible, my favorite topics. Awesome. Well, once again, appreciate you having coming on. I thought this was really good. I think this is gonna help a lot of people. Uh, thanks again, Christy. Um, I hope you have a great rest of your day. Great, thank you so much, Zach, for having me. Yeah, of course.